0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the podcast. It's, uh, I think, my notes, Rob, that you gave me, I think they're a lie. You're teasing me. We're actually getting into the text today. We're getting into Revelation. Uh, I cannot lie. You're unable to, or yeah, the, um, um, yeah, I, I can't lie. The inerrancy and the infallibility. Yeah, yeah. I tried one time and it didn't work. Sola, Robert. Yeah, uh, uh, cool. So today is actually Revelation one one day. We we get into the text. So we've started the series. I, I don't. I forget how many episodes ago where we've kind of laid a foundation. Hopefully, if everyone is how you've listened, you've you're coming into this saying, okay, I, I know what to expect now. You're you're prepared. You've gone through Revelation boot camp. And then the last two episodes we've done have been really interesting because we've had conversations more of theological applicational which all theology should be applicational mm-hmm. but it, it, it's really an applicational terms of like how is reading the book of revelation affected real world geopolitical and ethical issues with uh israel Palestine. so having uh tony dake and dr michael brown on that w- that was just you know, really interesting to having those dialogues, mm-hmm. and those are guys that you've had relationships for a while with, right? Not with Tony, but with Michael. Okay, okay, yeah. So we we've done those kind of conversations in the past, mm-hmm. we're, so I'm sure we'll hit on this again at some point. Yeah, it's a certain an issue that we need to continue the conversation with,
1: and we're hoping to plan some uh, webinars for maybe the upcoming months to discuss
0: the issues and continue to discuss them. And cool. Well, like we said, theology should always be applicational. Uh, and so that's why we bring those things up. And just like when we get into the book of revelation, as we're going to start in, in the matter of moments here, uh, we're not studying for the mere sake of trying to figure out how to read the newspaper, uh, or, or whatever notes we want to understand the text and what, which we'll find really early on in this text, you know, we, we, we won't be able to get through the third verse of this, the opening chapter without finding out this is an application book. It's not just something that makes awesome movies with people with amazing hair or something like that so this is an application book so let's get started uh how much are we going to cover tonight how much we buckle in for
1: let's let's do our best to get to the first eight verses which are usually referred to as the prologue or the introduction to the book of revelation so do you want to read
0: yeah sure let's get started uh being you know, you're also writing a commentary and whatnot on there. Uh, is there a specific version? You're probably, and I've actually, I've read part of your commentary. You translate a lot in there. Is there a better version of the, uh, or translation of the Book of Revelation that you think it's like, hey, this might capture some of the things that we've already talked about when it comes to numbers and all that? Or is it just, it's sprinkled throughout all the translations? It kind of sprinkled throughout all the translations.
1: Okay. I mean, the the I've been, I was surpri- I've been surprised at how much I actually like the NRS, uh, New okay. Rise yeah. Standard Version, yeah. which... I didn't think I would, I would, but the new American standard is pretty good. Uh, and then there's just, it just depends on what verse you're
0: in and what's going on there. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Didn't know if we wanted to stick with one, but I'm yeah, just going to keep reading then. All right. uh, okay. First eight verses. All right. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen." I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And excellent.
1: So the book of Revelation, you know, I for, for years I've been studying and there's hundreds of different scholars and commentators and articles out there on the structure of the book of Revelation, and I think we discussed it a little bit, and all of them have... Well, there's got to be seven parts. So there's got to be 12 parts. So there's got to be, there's some numerical, and it makes sense why they would assume that. But they stretch everything out to make everything fit. And it's like, okay, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't work. So as I was studying and, and going through things I'm like, oh, this, this is clearly the way the book of Revelation breaks down. This makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. And there's four main parts of the book of Revelation. We're good to go. There's an introduction. There's a prologue. No problem. And I didn't even think about how many parts there were to it. Right? Oh, that makes six parts. No, mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking about this
0: at all. Because structure is going to be a main point of your commentary on how it, the book. Well, is Well, it is
1: because it's really important to figure out the mm-hmm. way that John's telling telling the story and how mm-hmm. things are relaying, and and so it's really it's really important to help us understand the book. So I, I figured, out, okay, here we go. We're, we're good. We got six parts. Well, as I'm not going to go into the detail now, but there's there's two parts at the end of the book where there's a section in the middle that it's not, it's part, it's part of neither. And most commentaries will associate that section in the middle with one of the two sections, usually the first, the first of the two. And so, but I'm like, no, it's, it's clearly a distinct section. Mm-hmm. And so I laid it all out and then like, I get all done. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That makes seven parts. I'm like, Oh, I didn't want to have seven parts because then it seems like I'm just doing what everybody else does, making it fit, you know, but the reality is we should not be surprised that the book has seven parts. The first part is the introduction of the prologue, chapters one, chapter one, verses one through eight. And this really introduces the text. And it's introductions are really significant because they lay the groundwork for what's going to follow.
0: Mm-hmm. So with that, Revelation one, 1 mm-hmm. it begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Five words in English, not so much in Greek. And this is actually like right off the bat. We It's like we go... You know the first couple steps after you hear the the shotgun go off to start the race, and it's like, oh, we have questions about these right. couple right. words. <laughs> what what does this mean? The revelation of Jesus Christ.
1: Well, the it's three words in Greek: apocalypsis, Jesus Christu, and a little Spanish flirt. To, to yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, it's three words in Greek, and its meaning is ambiguous in Greek as it is in English. So when we say the revelation of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. we could mean it's the revelation from Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ's revelation. It's from him. But it could also mean the revelation that's about Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus. I'm telling you about him. And that that ambiguity is there in English, and it's there in Greek. And most likely the answer is John meant it to be ambiguous, and he meant it to be kind of both. As we look through the book, we realize that in all – that the revelation really does come from Jesus, which it's, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. See, it's, it's the one that came comes from Jesus. Mm-hmm. But as we keep reading the book, it's obviously it's about Jesus. I mean, that's the whole point. It's, it's about Jesus, and we'll get into this more hopefully next week when we get into chapters one nine, 9 through twenty, and then the the vision that John has of Jesus, and go look, this is Jesus in his resurrected glory. You know, the way I like to put it is this: the Gospels tell you about Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ, and You know, you might have the Gospel of John that kind of frames the the coming of Jesus Christ with the magnificence of He's the Word that became flesh and all that good stuff. And we might have passages within the Gospels that tell us about how Jesus is uh, the revealed God Himself or God Himself that's been revealed or the transfiguration. But the reality is, the book of Revelation now Jesus has been resurrected and glorified, and here He is. And John's going to present that in chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. And so it's, it's, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that's from Jesus and it's about Jesus and it reveals Jesus and his resurrected glory. So I think that's very significant.
0: So with that, we, we kind of have this uh, sequence in delivery where you have God gave Jesus a, you know, this revelation to show his servants, but by means of an angel. So it's God, Jesus, angel, john right. uh that seems like a really strange chain of uh custody <laughs> for this message well, is that normal
1: that this is the common feature of apocalyptic literature that's often revealed through an angelic being to john the, in the book of revelation it's from god to jesus and then mm-hmm. jesus to the angel and then the angel to john that's chapter one verse one now that's gonna be a problem when you get to a red letter bible right because if you have a, a red letter bible the words of jesus are in red letters Well, the reality is the whole thing's red letters because it's all from Mm -hmm. Jesus, but it's through an angel. And then sometimes the father's speaking, and sometimes, so, uh, okay, you got to figure all this out. And there's even two instances, which we'll get to much, much later, where John falls down to worship the angelic being. And he's told, don't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm just an angel. Uh, Oh, I'm just a servant. Okay. So you see that there's complex in the sense of its order of of how it's being given, but that's just a, a common apocalyptic way of, of, uh, Telling us what's going on.
0: And so that would be if we look at the I don't know, dozens or however many other apocalyptic works that exist, you'd have a similar thing. And this is when we hear of terms like the apocalypse of Abraham or Moses or any, any of these ancient figures. Uh, it's it's that type of thing. It's it's God giving a message to this otherworldly being that goes to someone famous of the past. And the difference is, oh, we know this John guy, he's alive now.
1: Yeah. And of course, there's an extra, uh, and then that it's, it's from God to
0: Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And then from Jesus to the angelic. Which you wouldn't see that obviously in other apocalyptic works. Yeah. Um, Verse two, uh, you have this idea of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This, the fact that these two uh, phrases are put together, this seems like another important thing.
1: Yeah. So it says that John testified. So it was given from God to Jesus, Jesus to an angel, the angel to John. And John says, and I testified to the, or who testified, referring to himself, to the word of God and the Testament of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This phrase, and I think we mentioned this in our section on numbers, uh, actually occurs seven times in the book of Revelation. So mm-hmm. it's a very important expression. And what's interesting about the seven occurrences, and I think Vinny, I broke it down for you here in, in some of mm-hmm. some of our notes, you can see it, is that the phrase actually kind of, begins in verse one chapter one verse two the word of god and the testimony of jesus christ and then in chapter one verse nine the word of god and the testimony of jesus notice that it's actually shorter slightly shorter because it doesn't include the word christ then notice chapter 20 verse 4 the testimony of jesus and the word of god which actually is the same exact saying as chapter one verse nine it's just just inverted Mm -hmm. jesus comes first word of god comes second Uh, But then in all the other instances, it actually keeps getting shorter. So the first thing is chapter 1, verse 9, and 20, verse 4 seems to frame it, which is the second occurrence and the seventh seventh occurrence. Now, I think the first thing that we stop and go is John is an artist. He's writing this beautiful text that's incredible. And one of the things he often does is even when he repeats something, he almost rarely will repeat it verbatim. He almost always changes it around. So chapter one, verse two, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Chapter one, verse nine, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Chapter six, verse nine, the word of God and their testimony. Chapter 17, verse 17, the words of God. And so he he's changing and referring to the same thing, but he's, but he's altering it there. And now, this
0: is different than just having a scattered mindset. Because yeah. if he was just scattered, he would just be inconsistent with how he phrased it, but it would yeah. probably be it's pretty similar the fact that you look at this and it it does not repeat itself until the you know the end uh where it kind of is an, in a sense kind of an inclusio type thing right. we probably don't want to that's technically not inclusio but but you're doing this mirroring and it's just inverted i mean that's gorgeous it's almost like a yeah. i don't want to say it's a chiasm but it, it it kind of has that chiastic thing where it's it's inverted
1: it's a significant phrase and we got to figure out what this might mean and and how it works now a couple passages to be aware of and then we'll discuss you know what, what does it mean In chapter 20, verse four, John says, and I, I, by the way, I really recommend that if you're listening to this and you're out taking a walk or whatever, that's great. But maybe make a habit of listening to this podcast with your Bible in your hand, or whether it's a computer Bible or whatever, and some notes and make notes and take things because if you just listen, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to get something out of it, but you're not going to get a lot out of it. If you stop and look at the text, and take the time to go through it and even pause the podcast every once in a while and go, okay, I got to let me make some notes on this before I go any further. Or rewind and kind of go, and go forward. You're going to get a lot more out of this. And this text is really, really powerful with a lot of depth and a lot of beauty and a lot of, a lot of richness. So in chapter 20, verse 4, John says, I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. So there, that's the same phrase that we saw in one uh, verse 9, but it's inverted. Chapter 6, verse 9, another another instance says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony, which they had maintained. So notice that there's two groups now, and maybe they're the same. We'll discuss that later on, where they had been, in chapter 20, verse 4, they had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And in chapter 6, verse 9, they're under the altar and they were slain. They were killed because of the word of God and because of the (laughs) testimony, which they had maintained. So uh, this phrase tells us whatever it might mean, and we'll unpack it in just a second. Following it, doing it, living it, carrying it out is potentially, it's hazardous.
0: It's going to cost you your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... John is using this phrase specific, you know, he's being very deliberate, and specific about it, but what does it actually mean? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ.
1: Well, the first thing to recognize then is that the phrase, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus are probably just two ways of saying the same thing. Mm. It's kind of both. So in Greek, it says, you know, the word of God and then the word and, and the testimony of Jesus. And the second one is probably just further defining the, the clarifying what the first one actually means. Mm-hmm. So There's a number of different options, but just to keep it simple, the most likely option, the one I think is actually is correct, is that refers to the book of Revelation itself. Mm. The book of Revelation is God's word, and it's the testimony of Jesus. In other words, the source of it is God, and the one that it reveals is Jesus. So, in Mm. chapter one, verse two, again it says, "God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to an angel. The angel gave it to John, who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw." There you go. The word of God and the testament of Jesus is equated with all that John saw, and that refers back to the book of Revelation. We also see this in chapter 19, verse 10. Chapter 19, verse 10, John falls down to worship this angel, and the angel says to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Right. Then we go to chapter 22, verse 9. Again, John falls down to worship at the feet of an angel, and the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, uh, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. So note chapter 19, verse 10 and 22, 9 are very, in both cases, John falls down to worship an angelic being. Mm -hmm. The angel says, don't do it. And in the first instance, he says, look, I'm just a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Instead, worship God. And then in chapter 22, verse 9, it says, oh, you know, by the way, you know, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of, and of the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. And there you go. Which makes sense too, because the
0: rest of chapter 22 is also going on to have these warnings like, hey, uh, heed the prophecy of this book. Don't add or take away from the prophecy of this book, which it's often in evangelical circles taken as don't add or take away from the Bible. Right. But it's like, no, it's not about the whole Bible. It's talking about the book of Revelation specifically. It's
1: it's talking about the book of Revelation. So this is the words of God Mm -hmm. and the testimony of Jesus. It's the book of Revelation that's referring to there. Yeah, exactly. So, and this becomes one of the themes of the book then. And the themes of the book is that faithfulness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, well, maybe I'll say it this way. It just, remember, he's writing to the churches. So the theme of the book becomes faithfulness to the word of God and faithfulness to the testimony of Jesus separates the faithful from the faithless. This, this is how we distinguish within the church who the faithful are, who the faithless are. It's the ones who are faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, a couple of things to know, by the way. The word testimony occurs ten I was, times. In I, I, revelation. I was just going
0: to. I was going to ask a question about testimony. so you finish yeah. this up, and I'm going to keep asking about this.
1: I was just going to say the word testimony occurs ten times, and I and I point these things out. I know we did a podcast on numbers because again, it shows the complexity with which John's writing this book. He's counting words, he's counting phrases, and he's using words. Oh, I'm not going to repeat it identically here. I'm going to change this, change that, illustrate the the beauty of the book. Also, now in chapter. Uh, 1, verse 9, and then 12, 17. So in chapter 1, verse 9, John begins by saying, Hey, I'm John. I'm your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance, which were in Jesus. And I was on the of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So the first thing we realize is whatever it is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, what's the book? It's what got John imprisoned. And that's what that's why he's on the island of Patmos. The other passage that's really significant is chapter 12 and this is a significant text in the book of Revelation itself, but it says the dragon, which is Satan, we were told that earlier in 12, is enraged at the woman, which is the people of God, and we'll keep it simple for now, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, or the rest of her children. And it says, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So there you go. The people of God are defined as the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the Testament of Jesus. And oh, guess what? The dragon is after you.
0: Hey everyone, we wanna thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we wanna remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access but we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. Cool. We move into verse three and it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed those who hear and who keep what is written for the time is near. John says we're blessed. This is like that same concept as the Sermon on the Mountain and the Beatitudes, right? It it literally is a Beatitude here. Yeah. Uh, And there's seven
1: of them in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. I think we pointed that out in the podcast on numbers also. There's seven Beatitudes or seven blessings in the book of Revelation. And this is the first one. And the first thing to note, and that's this. We've talked, at, at I think, in enough length already to say Those who put the book of Revelation as some futuristic thing, this becomes a big problem for them, this verse here, chapter one, verse three, because it says you're blessed if you read it, and the the word read is singular, Mm -hmm. because one person read the scroll for everybody else, and if you hear it, and if you keep it or do what it says, Mm -hmm. and there's no way if this had referenced only to some futuristic generation 2,000 years later, that John's initial readers could have even received this blessing because they didn't. Know what it meant. It had to have had meaning in its first-century context to its original reader and hearers. They had to have known what it meant in order to receive the blessing. But note the three parts of the blessing. First off, it's the reader, the one who's reading it out, out loud. Secondly, and then it's the hearers. And hear never means in the New Testament the idea of just like audibly listening. It's mm-hmm. always you know, it's like your mom used to say to you, "Did you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, of course I heard you. Mom. Like obviously you didn't hear me because you're not doing what I said." And then, of course, the next word is the, the ones who keep it or the ones who do what it says. And there's this strong sense of obedience that's required to receive the blessing. But again, remember, it's this the word of God, the testimony mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. This is God's word to, uh, through Jesus to the church. And by the way, we didn't discuss this. The testimony of Jesus Christ is also ambiguous. It's the same as like the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The testimony of Jesus Christ could be the testimony that's from Jesus, like it's his testimony, or it's a testimony that's about Jesus Christ. One thing that's important to point out, the fact is that it most likely in the book of Revelation, the word testimony is always used in relationship to a person who gives the testimony. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the testimony that Jesus testimony. This is the testimony that he, that he gave. Uh, and it's not just the testimony by his words, but the testimony by his life and so of course remember this is that message to the seven churches and it's what jesus says to the seven churches that we'll see in the seven messages of revelation chapters two and three and so there's a strong warning then hey you need to do what you you need to follow jesus in this and do what jesus said and do what jesus did and the result of that is that you will be blessed if you if you do this
0: every time i hear verse three Blessed is the one who, or those who hear and keep what's written. I, I always think back, and I, I'm not saying that there's a connection because I don't know if there is. I've never studied this, but this just strikes me of the Shema, uh, sh, you know, "Hear, yeah. O Israel," which is not, you know, that's the way you would translate it, it's Shema, here, But it's not merely hear; it's it's here, like do, like yeah. obey. Yeah, uh, this is what we're doing now. Yeah, right. not just yeah. not just have the audible session, you know, sensations go through your eardrums. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and you alluded to it earlier, by the way, also, I'm sorry, one, one last yeah. thing. You alluded to it earlier also, and that is at the end of the book, in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, mm-hmm. there's a curse for those who do not obey. Yes. And so strong words from the at the beginning and at the end of the book.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, verses four and five, really cool Trinitarian section here, or seemingly Trinitarian section, where you have grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne so the 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 him who was is to come that's the father the seven spirits are the holy spirit we're, we're kind of you know yeah, yeah. giving yeah. some yeah. theological conjecture here and then from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead the ruler of the kings of the earth so you have this father son spirit uh, all in, right. in this case would be father spirit son
1: yeah and this is what's called a salutation at the beginning of a letter which reminds us the book of Revelations we discussed is an apocalypse. It's a prophecy and it's, and it's also got the frame of a letter. It's not really a letter, but it has this letter framework. And of course, where John identifies himself and the recipient, So John mm-hmm. to the seven churches, and then of course, grace and peace from the father, the spirit and the son. And we're going to have on a guest speaker in our next episode, I believe. Dr. Dana Harris is a wonderful scholar and a good friend who will discuss and we're just going to kind of walk through the, the role of the Holy spirit, in the book of revelation, because the reality is it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it really seems as though the Holy spirit's like absent mm-hmm. and this phrase here in the middle of like, and from the seven spirits who were before his throne, which I think we discussed all, previously, but I'll just throw it out there now. It seems indeed that this is a reference to the Holy spirit. Uh, and we'll let Dana break that down for us. But I would think that it's the Holy spirit because it's sandwiched between a reference to the father and the reference to Jesus. And so it just makes sense that this is Father, Holy Spirit,
0: and Son. So even when we look at the, the Father who's introduced in verse 4, there's this threefold introduction to him, him who mm-hmm. is, who was, and who is to come. Right.
1: Yeah. And this title occurs three times okay. in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, Another verse coincidence; eight, And chapter 4, verse 8, three times. So the Father is also called the Alpha and the Omega. says the Lord God in chapter 1, verse 8. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. And then he's called the Almighty in chapter 1, verse 8. So in chapter 1, verse 8, you'll see uh, three titles ascribed to the Father. I hope you're catching this. If you're listening, let me make sure I'm clear. Chapter 1, verse 4, the Father is introduced as him who is, who was, and who is to come. Three titles ascribed to the Father. In chapter 1, verse 8, which we'll discuss again in a little bit here, which is likely the Father... He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and he's the Almighty. So there's three different titles. So John likes to use three in reference to the the triune uh, nature of God. So is this
0: Isaiah language?
1: Yeah, it, Isaiah, of course, Alpha and Omega comes
0: from the Book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's probably just biblical language as a, as a whole. But this also takes us back to the name Yahweh itself. Mm -hmm. When you say this is just biblical, I mean, the name Yahweh is, it's this imperfect form of a verb to be. It's like, I am what I, I is what it is. (laughs) Like, like I I am am amming. Yeah, I am am, existing. Yeah, exactly. I am existing and you can't define me in the past or the future or the present. I just is. So, yeah. Is there a sense, because we've talked about this a lot too, especially I'm thinking back to the gospels where you have gospel writers incorporating both Old Testament Jewish ideas, but then that also correlate to a, a, a Greco-Roman idea. So like the, the word gospel, you could read that in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so there's this like covenantal idea of the good news of God, but it's very much an imperial term right. used by Greek and Roman uh, military leaders and whatnot. Are there any descriptions of God that John uses that might have that sort of, uh, you know, Roman idea? Yeah. And this will
1: be important to understand the fact that the book of Revelation is written in this Roman context, and in many ways, it's an anti-imperial document. Mm-hmm. And we need to figure out what that means for us t- today in the modern world. And so John's writing to the churches to say, hey, guys, you got to. St- God's the one on the throne. He's the one in charge. He's the one who's holy. He's the one who's eternal. And it's not Rome. It's not Caesar. It's not the emperor. There is a description of Zeus uh, that would translate as Zeus was, Zeus is, and Zeus will be, oh, great Zeus. So it could be, it's not certain that John is playing off of that and he's responding to this claim of Zeus as the eternal one when he declares that God is the one who is, who was, and who is to come.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Verse four, we talked about the seven spirits uh, as a reference to the Holy Spirit. Do we want to mention any more on that? I I don't think we need to. I think,
1: uh, again, we'll discuss it next week in more detail. I think it comes from Isaiah 11, chapter 11, verse two, the sevenfold Mm -hmm. spirit. But let's just see what, uh, what Dana Harris has to say about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, verse five and from Jesus Christ. So this, you know, this completes the Trinitarian formula, if you will. Why is Jesus last if he's the most important? Uh, you know, historically, we always see him as second in the in the Godhead when that's, you know, in the biblical canon. He's usually second most of the time. And then in history he's always second. Why put him last here? especially when this is a book about him?
1: Yeah, last can be one way of accenting uh, of importance. I'm going to save the last thing, the most mm-hmm. important thing for last. Like in Latin, by the way, the the verb is always the last word of the sentence. Oh, the, the word verbum means word. It's it's the key word. You don't know what the sentence means until you get to the last word. It's not always the last word, but it's often the last word of a sentence, at least not if not a phrase. So it could be this climactic thing there. Uh, I mentioned to you in Jude chapter twenty, verse, I'm sorry, in Jude verses twenty and twenty one. You have the Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus. So normally it's the Father, Son, Spirit, but to have Jesus there probably is just a highlight or accent, the climactic point with Jesus. So, and note again that Jesus has
0: three titles. He's the faithful
1: witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the
0: earth. And there's kind of a a progression with those uh, three titles, right?
1: Yeah, he's the faithful witness. And here's the thing next week, or in, in a couple of weeks, when we get to chapter one, verses nine through 20, and John's going to have a description of Jesus. I saw one like a son of man, and his head and hair were white like wool, and his eyes like flame of fire. It's an incredible description of Jesus. Of all the descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the glorious presence of Jesus Christ as the resurrected, glorified son of God, sitting on the throne of God, etc. The very first description of Jesus is the faithful witness. And I think that's extremely significant. We already said that it's the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus is the Testament that Jesus himself lived out and manifesting him. And Jesus is therefore the, the faithful witness par excellence. And the idea of that is, and we are to go follow in his steps. And Jesus is the faithful witness. And now you go do so also. Hmm. So I think it's extremely significant that the first description is that he's a faithful witness, but the faithful witness here certainly implies in his death and he's the faithful witness to his death. We see that this phrase actually used in chapter 2 of a man named Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was put to death in your city where Satan dwells. Uh, Antipas is called a faithful witness who was put to death. The firstborn from the dead, of course, refers to the resurrection of Jesus. And then the ruler of the kings of the earth, is what's implied there is the one who is ascended into heaven and now sits on the throne and is the ruler of the kings of the earth. So I think faithful witness refers to his death. Firstborn from the dead refers to his resurrection and ruler of the kings of the earth refers to his ascension and that fact that he now
0: rules. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel, is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. I want to ask a question now, and you might push me off till we get to verse six but when it says uh rulers of the kings of uh, kings of the earth what is how does that work with the people of god in verse six being being made a kingdom so is this meaning like the other nations who are raging against god's people he's even the 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 king of those people
1: yes okay yeah yeah he's the king of the nations okay yes absolutely that's right
0: Okay. okay so i just asked you a few minutes ago about he made us to be a kingdom priests and it's so funny growing up in the Reformed tradition, especially growing up Lutheran, I always want to read this as a kingdom of priests because uh, <laughs> we always have right. to, I, you know, we, we want to put that there. But what's the significance of this phrase? What, what should we mean by this? Well,
1: again, this is everything. So we always have to bear in mind that the book of Revelation was written to the church. And it was not written to the church to describe the things that were going to happen at the end times. Mm-hmm. It was written to the church like as if the end times meant like the end of the end. It was written to the church to to reveal Jesus Christ. And in revealing Jesus Christ, it's now go and do thou likewise. Imitate Jesus. And so he's made us to be a kingdom and preach to our God. The first thing to recognize is the fact that this actually is perhaps the key text in Mm -hmm. the Old Testament, Exodus 19, describing Israel and Israel's call and mission. So Exodus chapter 19. And this is
0: the chapter right before the Ten Commandments. So this is like... This is a big chapter here, big section.
1: Yeah, Uh, so Exodus 19, of course, is kind of your introduction to the Ten Commandments, which happens in Exodus 20. And it says, listen, Moses, here's what I want you to know. To say to the sons of Israel in chapter 19, verse 3, you yourselves know what I did to to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, verse 5, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. The verse describing Israel's identity and mission is found in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. And, and Israel was called to be a kingdom and priest. And it says kingdom of priests, but it's a kingdom and priest because they were supposed to be a holy nation. So mm-hmm. the idea of the entire kingdom, the entire people, all the peoples in the kingdom were to be kings or queens. And all the people in the nation were to be priests. You're going to mediate my presence to the nations. And you're going to rule. Ultimately, this is obviously, this is Adam language, Adam and Eve language. This, you're going to take what Adam and Eve were supposed to do, and you're going to fulfill it. And it's going to be an awesome thing. Now, in chapter 5 of the book, let's go back to the book of Revelation. In chapters 4 and 5, we have this throne room scene. John's taken into heaven. He sees the Father sitting on the throne. In chapter 5, he sees Jesus. Jesus is worthy to take this book that was in the Father's right hand because he was slain. And in verse nine, it says, uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are beings that worship God. It says, they fall down in verse nine and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break it seals because you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood, men from, or men and women, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Now, there's very few verses in the book of Revelation that we have any manuscript uh, uncertainty about. And this is one of them. Hmm. And what we're uncertain about is whether or not it says, and they reign upon the earth, present tense, or whether they will reign upon the earth, future Mm. tense. And we'll Mm -hmm. discuss it in more detail later. But uh, the point of that in chapter 1, verse 6, of course, is we are kings and priests. Now, will we reign in the future or are we reigning now? I, I think it's it's both. We are reigning now. And I actually think chapter 5 verse 9 probably should be translated as, and they reign upon the earth, mm-hmm. not that they will reign upon the earth, but I think you can go, kind of go, go either way with that. Now, of course, you see this in chapter 20 verse 6 also, and it says, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And we're not going to get into when the thousand years might take place, but notice again, it's this idea of being Kings and priests. And I think maybe the preeminent passage in the book and the new Testament is chapter is first uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine. Uh, you are a Royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's first Peter chapter two, verse nine. And so, this is the essence of the book of revelation. Then it's a revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches to say, Jesus was the faithful witness. Now you go and do thou also I'm making you a kingdom. I'm making a priest and now go fulfill the mission and the mandate of Adam, which Israel was called to fulfill of making God known of being his uh, mediators of being his, his, uh, his presence on the earth and do faithfully. And remember Jesus was the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn from the dead, and he's also the ruler of the kings of the earth.
0: Mm. Wow. Inserting a dad joke. I'm walking at work the other day, and one of the pastors who, his theological conviction is he's historic (laughs) pre-mill, and there's other people around, and I'm just walking, and he's like, what do you say? There goes Vinny. He's a mill, so you can't take him literally. (laughs) I thought that was funny.
1: (laughs) that's a dad joke
0: that's a that's a pastor dad joke I yeah. thought that was pretty funny and he's all half
1: the people listening wouldn't have any idea what that means but
0: it's a, but if you know it's like oh that's a and, and that's a good dad joke yeah. theological dad joke yeah anyway i got a chuckle out of it so i was a, i was gonna
1: say like well if he's historical premium if he's historical premium well, then you can't take him either yeah exactly so, no rapture uh
0: verse six to him be the glory and dominion forever Amen. I mean, th- this is almost like how letters end. This is this great doxology. I feel like we should, like, the organ should start playing and everyone should stand up and churches over now.
1: Yeah. But what's significant about this doxology is that the doxology is offered to Jesus mm-hmm. and not to the Father. Or to him, which has to refer to Jesus, who's the last one that was revealed, mm-hmm. who has made us to be a kingdom and priest and all that good stuff there. It's the doxology of praise offered to Jesus and not to the Father. And glory glory is is used to the father throughout the old testament first chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 i'll go ahead and read it it says yours O lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty indeed everything that is in the heavens and on the earth yours is the dominion O lord and you exalt yourself as head over all Mm -hmm. and now the book of revelation is taking that same idea and applying it to jesus so it's, it's very powerful
0: yeah. Uh, verse seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, which we'll get to that. But he, he has this coming with the clouds language. So this is one of the things that where I think yep. in our popular culture, you and me, we, we, we've mentioned this many times before. We grew up with the assumption, with the pre-understanding that revelation is about the end of time. So we read this and we automatically think that this is the second coming. because right. That's what we're told the book's about. But that's not necessarily what's happening here. Maybe. No,
1: no, no. Yeah. Now, this phrase is used in the New Testament a number of times. It's mm-hmm. just in the Gospels mm-hmm. and especially in the, S what we call the eschatological sermon or Jesus' sermon on oh, the all end of discourse. Uh-huh. Yeah, the all of Discourse. And in the scholarly world, I think it's becoming the norm to conclude that it refers to Jesus coming to heaven. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He's coming like to ascension. heaven, not coming to, to so the Acts earth.
0: Acts chapter one, we would yeah. say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the book of Revelation, it's that's certainly what it means. It has to mean He's coming to heaven. I know it's, he is the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and he's made a spake kingdom, and he's worthy of of glory, and he's coming to the clouds of heaven. He's ascending into heaven now. I think that's certainly the meaning that that fits the text best here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think I first heard this from NT Wright uh yeah yeah. and i didn't know what to do with it really because like okay that's interesting yeah yeah but but then last year or maybe a year or two ago i was teaching through the book of daniel and this is obviously daniel seven language and i was like oh wait a minute (laughs) and and then you're kind of you know you're kind of stuck with something which like i need to address this and what do i do with it and so that's yeah it's it's, it would you say that this is definitely daniel seven language
1: Yeah, yeah and that's the reason why we think that this is that this has to refer to him coming to to heaven so in daniel 7 you have one like a son of man. Mm -hmm. And it says in verse 13, uh, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Mm -hmm. So it's really clear. He's the son of man. He's coming with the clouds of heaven and he was coming to the ancient of days and not coming to the earth. He's coming to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. So in light of the fact that this has, it's it's obviously it's Zechariah language and of course, Daniel seven language. I, I think I noted in our conversation with Michael Brown. Yes, I was just thinking of that. He, yeah, he was referring, he's like, Zechariah 12 hasn't happened yet. And, and I think I made a, I don't agree with that. Revelation 1 is quoting Zechariah 12 here. Mm. And of course, combining with Daniel 7 and applying it to Jesus. So
0: what significance does clouds have? Cause I, mm. I know that it seems like this, uh, I'm trying to remember who I read uh, like a biblical theology of temple. It might've been Beal or something, but the idea that clouds play an important role in the old Testament, especially identifying with God and his presence uh, and his power and that sort of thing, even going back to the Exodus in the wilderness. Yeah.
1: So God's presence in the Exodus in the wilderness was a cloud by day and a fire by night. Mm-hmm. He's often referred to as the cloud rider, the one who rides the mm-hmm. clouds. Uh, what's interesting is in the old Testament, he's often almost always riding a storm cloud, right? He's, he's which is ancient mythology that's being that, that the Old Testament writers are saying, hey, let's take that and apply it to the biblical God. Um, but in the book of Revelation, he's coming on a white cloud in Revelation mm-hmm. chapter uh, 14. So it's a little, it, it nuances a little bit, but clouds symbolize the presence of God. So remember that the clouds parted when Jesus was baptized and the Father spoke. Jesus ascends into heaven. The idea of going up into the sky, and the sky is where the clouds are. And mm-hmm. so it's a common symbol for the presence of God.
0: Mm-hmm. It goes on to say, you know, all the tribes of the earth or, you know, uh, every eye will see him. Does this mean every literal person? I mean, you know, the popular understanding is that because we live in a time of cell phones, having internet access and TVs being able to broadcast all over the world, now this event can happen. Is yeah. that what it means?
1: There's no way that's what it means. It's simply an expression of saying not necessarily every single person. Usually the way we say it is not every person without exception, but all people without distinction. In other words, people from every nation doesn't necessarily mean that every person from every nation.
0: So it's not just coming back to Jerusalem for Israel to see, would be one example. It's, right. it's for all kinds of people.
1: The application here is the fact that when we get to the end of the story, that, all, that the nations will walk by the light of the new Jerusalem, and the kings will bring the glory into it. That at the end, the nations will be represented in the sense that they have been redeemed that's going to be one of the big points that we're going to make here as we proceed that revelation is telling a story and one of the key themes of that story is that the, that god is in lovingly patiently doing everything he can to bring the nations to repentance and to bring the nations to redemption mm-hmm. and so what you're saying here is that yeah all the nations are going to be converted but it doesn't mean that every person from every nation mm-hmm. is going to be converted but people from every nation are going to be converted and that's why that everyone's going to see him
0: okay yeah this the prologue or the intro uh it ends at verse eight and it says i am the alpha the omega says the lord god so we we know that who that is and this is going to be the father right i'm assuming who is and who was and who is to come who we've already identified earlier this is father language the almighty so this kind of hints of jesus but it's we've already had this character if you want to call it that identified as father Uh, so what do we do with this
1: yeah so I mean, we actually have the same problem in verse seven that I kind of alluded to. It says, behold, he's coming with the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him. Well, we know that's the son of man passage from Daniel mm-hmm. seven, the son of man passage applied to Jesus in the new Testament. We know that it's got to be referring to Jesus because he's the one who made us to be a kingdom in verse six. And he's the last one referred to in verse five. So verse seven makes the most sense. It's applied to Jesus. But then all of a sudden, verse eight has like the speaker. Hey, I'm the alpha and the omega says the Lord God. You're like okay, but Alpha and Omega is applied to Jesus and to the Father. The, mm-hmm. Well, it's applied to Jesus in chapter 22. So you're like, well, it could be Jesus here then. And it says, but he's the Lord God, and he's also the Almighty. And you're like, well, it's, it simply is unclear, like which person of the Trinity that it's referring to. Most likely, verse 7 Jesus, and verse 8 is the Father. And, and mm-hmm. that makes the, the most sense, especially since the designation Almighty appears to be used an application to the father only. I mean, in chapter four, verse eight, and chapter 21, verse 22, in both those instances, it certainly is the father. And mm-hmm. chapter four, verse eight, it's definitely the father. And so it makes the most sense that this is the father who's actually speaking. So, hey, by the way, just want to make you guys uh, aware of the things. I'm the alpha and the omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And, and that phrase there, who, who is, who was, and who is to come, was applied to the father in verse four. So it makes the most sense then to say that verse eight is a reference to the father.
0: Okay. Okay. So the title, Alpha and Omega, and it's in this is where it goes back to Isaiah language. It's connected to beginning and end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it makes it seem like okay, the beginning and end, like you know, you know, we wouldn't say Alpha and Omega, we would say A to Z, right? That would be the English equivalent. Well, there's nothing before A, and there's nothing after Z, so this is obviously talking about a finite existence is, is this what is being getting out here
1: yeah and, and by the way good clarification alpha and omega the first and last letters of the greek alphabet mm-hmm. so it is like a to z and the answer is no it literally implies before the alpha and after the omega i'm before the beginning i'm after the end
0: so as we wrap up the prologue uh what are key things that we take away uh because we haven't talked about application. I don't know, like, how do I apply this to my marriage? <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. Like, we didn't go there. But what, what, are the, uh, what are the takeaways? What do we do with this?
1: Well, first thing that we bear in mind is that the book of Revelation was written to the church in mm-hmm. the churches. It's not written to the nations to say, hey, this is what's all going to happen before the end of the world. You guys better know all the stuff so that you know how to, you know, your repent when it all happen. It's written to the churches. It, the first message is that Jesus is the one who's the Lord and Caesar is not, which is the gospel. That's just the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? Jesus is Lord. Caesar is
0: not. You get the same thing in Romans and in Mark. There's no difference. You get, you mm-hmm. get something in yeah yep.
1: the entirety yep. of the New Testament. This is yep. the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. And Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not means Jesus is Lord and I'm not and mm-hmm. or you're not and my power is not or my education is not or my good looks. I mean, that's just a big issue for you and me. <laughs> that's why we're on podcasts. And that's not, why we don't yeah. videocast it. it yeah. yeah. But,
0: uh, but that's, that's extremely applicational in and of itself. You could full stop right there and do weeks of application.
1: And I don't think we talk about this enough in terms of what the gospel is. It's a gospel of self-denial. It's a gospel that says Jesus is Lord and I'm not. And that means that my power is not my money's not nothing else is Lord. And and the reality is we struggle every day to live this out because Mm. we put so many things before Jesus, whether it's the failure to take time to pray, whether it's the failure to take, to give gifts and talents, whether it's the failure to pay attention to his voice. I'm writing a, a series of blogs, or a couple of blogs right now on, you know, Hey God, what is your will for my life? And it's like, mm-hmm. that's just the wrong question because mm-hmm. it's so self-centered. We should be asking the question, what is God's will? So I, I think that's extremely significant, but John's writing to, to churches that were in the midst of the Roman. And we have to paint this picture better, but they're in the midst of the Roman empire some of them were being faithful, some of them were not being faithful, some of them were being tempted to give in and compromise, some were being persecuted because they were not giving in and compromise, and some were, had already given in and compromised. And so, John's there's a great diversity in, in to his audience to whom the book was written. So, Nelson Crabel wrote a book, and he said, The book of Revelation is about allegiance. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly the case. The mm-hmm. Bible is about allegiance, right? Jesus says, You cannot serve two masters. Revelation is a direct challenge to Roman rule. So Caesar may think he's in power, but he's not. Remember, it's an apocalypse. So it's telling you, this is the way things actually are. I I know the way things look. It looks like power rules the world. It looks Mm -hmm. like money and wealth is what you need to rule the world. It looks like you need to have all these things to get ahead in the world, but you don't, you need Jesus. Now, the next thing is that we have to stop and figure out and go, well, what does this mean for us? Whether we're in the United States, whether we're in Great Britain, whether we're in India, wherever we might we might be listening to this, what does this mean for us? One of the major concerns that John has in the book of Revelation is that we, we don't give in to the pressure of society and of culture that causes us to compromise the gospel for the sake of, well, for the sake of material prosperity or material gain. And material prosperity could just be like food. Right, remember 90% of the Roman empire was just like trying to get food for the next Mm -hmm. day. And we don't give in to the empire in order to alleviate suffering. So if I do these things, I can eat. And if I do these things, I not only can eat, but I won't get persecuted. And I think this is where the parable of the sower just always comes back in. Why did the other seeds not bear fruit? Because stones represent persecution and tribulation and thorns represent wealth and power and privilege and those things. Oh, I didn't know how to give those things up to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be really careful. I've, I've said this before. I preached a few weeks ago in, in Washington, D.C. And I said this at the beginning of the sermon. And I say this often to myself. It's so easy for us to read the Bible and think Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He's mm-hmm. speaking to them. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. I'm on Paul's side. And like, yeah, Paul, you tell them. Mm-hmm. Because the the church in Corinth, how 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 dumb can they be? How silly can they be? I mean, how unbelievable can they can they be doing these things? And so we forget to realize the fact that the Bible is written to us also. And I'm not necessarily on Team Jesus. I want to be on Team Jesus. My goal is to be on Team Jesus. But Jesus might very much be speaking to me right now. And I think we need to do the same thing with John. John is speaking to us and not just to them. And we need to stop and say, Hey, what does it mean? say that jesus is lord and it's not just some intellectual conviction, as we discussed already it means jesus is lord and my money is not lord my power is not lord my wealth is not my education is not lord my family is not lord my personal security is not lord jesus is lord and he calls us to take up his cross take up our cross and and follow him and i alluded to it a little bit ago in matthew 6 19 through 34 i think is a really significant passage jesus begins by saying look why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about clothing? And the reality is that was a very significant concern for people in the Roman Empire. And that is if I don't give in to the Roman imperial cult, if I don't give in to the things that Rome's asking me to do, I don't eat. We'll, we'll flush that out more in the, in the coming weeks, especially as we get into the seven messages of chapters two and three. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, Seek first my kingdom. And all these things will be added to you Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. You might go hungry. Yeah. You might not have food or clothing. Yeah. You might have persecution and suffering, but Jesus is the one who's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the Kings of the earth. And as we'll see at the end of chapter one, he's like, I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Mm -hmm. So following Jesus and being faithful to Christ is worth it. It's, Brings truth, it brings peace, it brings justice to the world, and compromising the gospel uh, in order to gain yourself an advantage in this life is actually not going to be wise.
0: Hmm. Wow. Hey, good stuff. We've fulfilled our promise. We got into the text.
1: Yes, not quickly enough for me, but good, but glad we're here.
0: Yeah, it's good. Next week, we start into the first this vision. That we have no
1: next week. We're going to have a guest speaker next. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I guest interview with professor Dana Harris, and we're going to talk about the Holy spirit in the book of revelation, because again, it's that's the revelation right. of Jesus Christ, but where's the Holy spirit in all this. And I think the Holy spirit is central to the, to the new Testament. You know, we always say that the, the new Testament is Christological. It's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think you can make a really good case that the new Testament is just as much about the Holy spirit as it's about Jesus because the Holy spirit is the one who empowers the church mm-hmm. And the church, the people of God are the one who then carry out the mission of Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't finish the job, I've said. He didn't finish the job because the job was to fulfill the kingdom mission of making God known to the nations. And Jesus didn't do that. He now commissions, hey, you guys, now go out to the nations. And the Holy Spirit, oh, by the way, don't go without the Holy Spirit yet. You know, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So I think the Holy Spirit's is essential. So why is the Holy Spirit seemingly absent from the book of Revelation then? And we'll discuss that question in, in some more next week
0: which is funny to your point on this in my evangelical reform tradition we have the book the gospel of john which you mentioned earlier how this is the deity of christ book but no this is the holy spirit book (laughs) it really is
1: yes uh the holy spirit is as important This sounds blasphemous or more important to the gospel of john than jesus
0: Yes. yes and in the reform tradition, Romans eight is one of the the, the Mount Rushmore chapters in yeah. terms of reform theology. And it is very much a holy spirit. This is a Pentecostal yeah, sure. chapter. So but yeah. we we glaze over that because we wanted to get to predestination.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Anyway, hey, good stuff. Next week, exciting interview. I'm I'm really excited for that one. That's gonna be a good time. So hope you guys are enjoying this. Hopefully, boot camp, Revelation boot camp did it for you. And jumping into the text uh was worth it, but you're understanding it and it's framed in a way where you're we're just asking less questions because you're prepared. So yeah. that was the goal there. Keep enjoying it. Keep reading it. Rob, is one more thing.
1: Yeah. And remember, go on the the, the Determined Truth website. Yes. Go on the blog, the blog tab. Scroll down to the bottom of that page. And there'll be devotional guide. it be one of the options that you can search on. And when you click on devotional guides, it's going to take you to all the devotional guides that I've written for the entire New Testament. And of course, the most recent ones are on the book of Revelation. So mm-hmm. that's another way of studying the book of Revelation is to go to devotional guide number one which starts in chapter one versus chapter one through maybe three or whatever and study along with as as a devotional guide also just kind of get more and more and more out of the study
0: yeah because you're not just going to listen to it once and figure it all out (laughs) yeah so you you literally could get a phd and not and still be learning stuff right (laughs) yeah for a long time for a long time all right guys see everyone next week Thank you for joining us on today's podcast, and we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.